Hey everyone, today we have on the show two LCDCIs, and we'll explain to you what that means later. So I was connected to Jamie and Rachelle through a great friend, Jessica Bearden, who will be on a later episode of Background Check. Now these two ladies, Jamie and Rochelle, run a recovery center called Life Giving Life and have taken what they've been through, some of it pretty stinking rough, and are using it to help others be set free. You won't believe what they've been through. We talk about generational addictions, whether some people are too far gone to recover, what their path to recovery looked like, and so much more. Stay tuned while we do a background check. Let's go! Have you or someone you know had your life turned upside down because of your past? Of course I have. Everyone does background checks now, which makes it hard to bounce back. What do you believe? I believe your background shouldn't hold you back. It, sh- it should pay you back. This podcast will inspire you, motivate you, and inform you with everything you need to rise above your past and, and not be afraid to say, go, go ahead, check my background. My name is Jaden Gum, and this is Background Check. You already know. Let's go. You can check my background. I'm a forgiving felon, so tell them that I won't back down now. You can bet I won't live in regret. It's time to earn some respect. You are tuning in to Background Check. Hey everyone, welcome to Background Check Podcast, brought to you as always by Forgiven Felons, helping people with a past realize their future. If you want to know more about what we do at Forgiven Felons, then visit us on the web, forgivenfelons.org. We have two transitional houses, so if you need somebody that needs a transitional house after they uh, are released from prison, go there, you can get the application, send it to them. If you'd like to sponsor uh, an episode or the whole show, just let us know. You get shout-outs right here. So um, if, if you haven't seen the documentary, please go to Roku TV or Tubi TV. It's free. So the the big thing we got coming up in less than a month away is North Texas Giving Day. It happens once a year. This is, this is the one time of year where we really go all out trying to raise funds for the ministry. And this year we have... Uh, uh, continuation from last year. We're trying to get the welding class, a spot for it, a building for it, and the resource center. We've got a grant with grant money just sitting there waiting to, to buy the welding equipment. We just need a place to, to set up shop. So we really need some money this year, for some capital. This is a capital campaign this year. I mean, if we could get twenty or 30000 think I think we could move into a place and start the welding class. But we also need two refrigerators. We need more furniture. And we need new stuff. You know, uh, people that donate is great. It's awesome. But sometimes we just, uh, it's easier just to buy some, some new stuff. So we need two new refrigerators. And then we need some furniture. So if you're uh, all about helping us in a practical way, please let us know. Uh, but on that day, we're going to be raising money. We, we also have, if you visit NorthTexasGivingDay.org forward slash Forgiven Felons, you can, it'll be in the show notes too. You can start your own fund, F U N, fundraiser, and you can raise money separately on all your social media, your email platform, whatever you want. You could raise money, and everybody that gives to you, it goes directly back to Forgiven Felons. We may have a competition about that. I don't know. We're going to have a rally that day, that night. Um, I don't know what we're going to do during the day. Like we normally go and do live interviews, we may still do that, may not be able to, but we're going to definitely have a rally that night at our house a social distanced one, a mask wearing one, but we're uh, going to invite Terry Fancher to come sing again at the house like he did two years ago. And I don't know, we may give a car away. We may not. You might just want to show up or tune in. We'll do Facebook live that night at the rally, you know, tune in because you don't know, we may be giving away a car. We may not be, but, but we do know there's going to be good food. 
If you want to help sponsor some food for that night, let me know. We usually do uh, Thai Express. You know, if you have, if you want to if you want to help pay for that food, that's great. Uh, if you have some door prizes you want to help uh, sponsor, so we can give some away that night, that'd be great too. But we're gonna have a rally. We may or may not give away a car. We don't know yet. We're just trying to raise. We're trying to raise some money, and we're gonna have uh, some live instead of live interviews throughout the day. We're gonna invite people to come that night and share on the Facebook Live page that day. So. Anyway, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. So uh, let's get to the Background Check podcast. You know, we have so many different types of stories on here. We'll have uh, wrongfully convicted, rightfully convicted. We'll have, uh, we had a DWI judge. We got a parole lawyer coming up. We got Representative Carl Sherman coming up next week. Uh, So many different things, but uh, motivational speakers, addiction counselors, which is what we have this week. So today's guests are Jamie McKibben and Rachelle Canton from Life Giving Life, a recovery project in Montgomery, Texas. Today we're going to talk about a topic that affects nearly everyone whose life has been impacted by incarceration, but lots more people just in our regular society, and that's addiction. It has torn apart homes, wrecked businesses, and caused lots of problems all over the world. Substance abuse. You know, Now there's going to be more addictions that we you know, that there are than we just, than we talk about today, but we will hear from these two amazing ladies about their own addiction and recovery journey and how it's taken them into a sphere where they work now, which is helping others. I can't wait for you to hear their stories and how they got this organization started. So let's go. Ladies, welcome to Background Check Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Okay, so we have, I'm sitting here, for those of you listening, I'm sitting here talking with Jamie. Jamie, tell me, uh, tell me a little something about yourself. Hello. Yeah. So I am a uh, LCDCI uh, level three. Some people three. may not know what that means. So explain the. It's uh, just a whole the bunch of letters outside my name that I just enjoy putting there. No, that means that the license that um, I'm in the process of getting is specialized uh, for uh, chemical dependency. Okay. So license. What does the I stand for? Intern. Intern. So I am what they would call a level three intern. So I am just finishing up my hours. I'm supervised by Dr. Von Bryant. So um, I will be fully licensed soon. Awesome. Congratulations. And and Rachelle. That's it. All right. And so tell me about yourself. Well, um, like Jamie, I am to LCDC intern. And I love what I do. You know, I love helping people, paying it forward. You know, like the center, you know, it's life giving life. And I believe that, you know, my life was spared so that I could teach someone else how to live a happy and, you know, fulfilled life. That's right. Okay, so the the place that you guys work is Life Giving Life. It's Mm -hmm. called The Recovery Project. And the mission statement says, Life Giving Life, the recovery project, is dedicated to helping and giving support to individuals and families struggling with the battle of substance abuse disorder. We provide our clients with the tools and skills to live a life in long-term recovery. You know, I never, I never heard of that phrase before, long-term recovery, until I went a couple years ago myself to the Houston area to uh, become a peer recovery coach. 
Nice. And so I heard all these new phrases that, that I had never heard before, like long-term recovery. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, April 9th, I celebrated 17 years nice. uh, clean nice. from alcohol, cigarettes, hey. and everything that I've, you know, all the bad vices. Mm -hmm. So, um, so when I heard that term, I'm like, oh, that's what I'm in. I'm in long-term recovery. Yeah. Um, I also, you know, learned the difference between a mentor and a coach. I'm a great mentor, but I thought, man, I, I, I'm kind of a coach, mm -hmm. you know, because I, I help these guys coming out of prison. So tell me, Jamie, a little bit about what Life Giving Life, how long you've been here? What, what is the whole project? Why, why does it say the recovery project? So the, rep uh, the recovery project stems from um, we are all in a work in progress, yeah. right? And especially in recovery. And um, I kind of preach a little bit to my clients on, you know, what are we going to do different this time? It's a project, right? So... Um, and we're in recovery, so hence the recovery project. Nice. <laughs> life giving life, um, I'll be honest with you, 100% was a total God thing. It was something that I had been wanting to open up a center, a counseling center for a little while, and um, it literally, I don't know how to explain it to you, it just came, and it was like, Oh, life giving life. Like it literally just popped in my head. That wow. is the only way I can explain it. Yeah. And it just made sense. And it, it does um, really just describe the epitome of what this center is all about. Everybody that works here is here because they are in it. They are here because they've been through it. Yeah. Um, whether it's somebody in recovery themselves or whether maybe it's a family member in recover in recovery. So it's it's very important for us here at Life Giving Life to not only incorporate the individual. That's why in our mission statement it says family families right. and individuals. It's a family disease. Yeah. Um, so I really wanted to make this center something that was full circle, something that incorporated kind of all the elements of um, what recovery kind of entails. Yeah. So how I came up with that was my clients' relapses. I literally took um, what caused, when I looked back and kind of reflected on what were the causes of these relapses, what were they going through, what were some of their triggers, and yeah. then really analyzing on, wow, that is a big one, like people, places, and things. Yeah our environment, our old friendships, how it's difficult breaking up with old friendships. I mean, some of it is like a divorce, right? Yeah. Um, what happens if family members are using and we're trying to get clean? You know, these are very, very difficult situations that people come across that really can make or break a recovery. And what I wanted to do um, was implement that here at the center. Another big one was jobs. Yeah. Right. So like forgiven felons, I'm sure that y'all deal with also um, the, the background checks, yep. let's yep. say. Right. Yep. So we're with you. Yep. Um, you know, the, people can change. I fully, fully I've seen it. What do and you say to the people that say that people can't change? I would challenge them to change something within their life, their own self, and then tell me that people can't change. Like what are, everybody, I, and I preach this, I probably say this every day, everybody has a struggle. 
every single person out there has a struggle. Ours just happens to be substance, you know? So take a real good look in the mirror and own the parts that maybe we need to work on and try and change that and then come back and tell me that somebody can't change. Now, how hard is it for you to help the families? Because most of the time, a lot of times family, especially when they come to me, about their loved one that's either in prison and they're ready for them to change. And um, usually after about five minutes, I realize that the family needs a lot of help themselves. But what do you, I mean, what do you do when, when the family doesn't even acknowledge? Like you said, every, we all have hurts. We all have habits, hangups, whatever. But the hardest one to change is the one that you don't acknowledge is even there. Mm-hmm. So it's funny do- that you say that because I always say you can't change what you don't acknowledge. How am I going to change something if I don't even acknowledge that? Same with families. Same with spouses. Um, the other big one is we teach people how to treat us. If I am setting a boundary and somebody is consistently breaking that boundary, yeah. number one, they're not respecting you right. because you're telling them over and over. But if we're not giving a consequence to that, Mm -hmm. then in a way we're kind of letting them know it's okay to treat us like that when it's not. So, um, oh, my families love those families. (laughs) They're probably the most, families are probably the most challenging. And this is why I I have my grower show because sometimes Jamie is the one that has to have those fun come to Jesus talks. And Rochelle's the nice one. Yes. <laughs> Rochelle's the nice yes. one. Yes. And I'm the one that's kind of like, let's have a little chitty chat. Wow, that's <laughs> so, awesome. so, um, so, so how long have you been in, in existence? This. So Life Giving Life opened April 27th of 19, okay. which I didn't even realize. Side note, funny story. Um, didn't even realize when I opened it was my sober date. Oh, that's great. And I was like, wait, today was my sober day. Oh, hmm, wow. Interesting. And this place actually used to be a church. Thank you. All right, so, so why is Rochelle here? Why did you hire her? That's my girl right there. All right, um, Rochelle, why, why are you working here, Rochelle? Um, because, first of all, it wasn't my choice to even become a counselor. You know, um, I believe in God. I can't help but to believe in God because I had lost faith and didn't have no connection in life. But until I was able to look past the pain, I was able to see a connection. Yeah. And I took classes with this young lady, Miss Jamie, and I admired her work. It was like, wow, she's been in this field forever. Yes, during those class presentations, she would get up there. I'm like, damn, I'm dumb, you know. <laughs> but excuse me, but um, still, after a while, I, I I was on Facebook and I saw where she had started the center, and I'm like, wow, awesome. So I stalked her. Oh, nice. Yes, nice. I stalked her and hunted her down. <laughs> she did not. <laughs> I remember you in class when I went. No, I'm not. <laughs> oh, you Just were kidding. one of those, right. huh? Just but, kidding. But the thing of it is, I love being here because, you know, Jamie, Jamie is an awesome person. Yeah. And when I came into it, I was new, and I didn't know exactly how it went or how to go about being a counselor. But 
if you listen to her and follow what she throws out there, pick and choose it though. <laughs> That's right. Right. Um, um, everything else will become natural. So yeah. I developed my own style. You know, being here, just like I even tell the clients when they come, it's it's not you coming to a treatment facility. You're actually coming into a family. Right. You know, whereas Jamie give you the tough love, I'm going to tell you about those universal strengths. There's 24 of them that that's that's the same in every every individual across the globe. Yeah. You know, it's no different than having blood types. You know, it's only a certain um, certain traits that's there. And so my thing is my biggest component in recovery is until you're able to know who you are and who you belong to, you will keep uh, keep finding yourself failing at life. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you've been, be it you've been a felon uh, in prison or or on the streets, a prostitute or whatever, guess what? Those are price tags that we tend to put on ourselves. Mm -hmm. But it's time to take those off and build up our strengths. Come on. Until you're able to walk in your strength, then you'll know what light you can actually walk in. And everything is a learned behavior, it's a learned process. Only thing we gotta do is take that street residue that we picked up, critique it, and move on. But critique it for good, not for yeah. bad. So, so that's good. why I'm here. So good. Why why did you girls want to get into this type of work? Oh, I can't imagine doing anything else. I don't have, I, I mean, I definitely have a story. My story stemmed more from anxiety, um, an abusive marriage that I got out of. Um, after getting out of that marriage, he had problems with alcohol and, um, and a temper that went along with it. And it got bad after I left, um, which increased my anxiety. And so a lot of my drinking stemmed from anxiety and gotcha. coping with yeah. that. As that kind of progressed, um, you know, we have the psychological dependence and we have the physical dependence. And I was, you know, right there at both. I was blessed enough to have and to be still in a relationship with a man that cared and stuck by me and knew um, there was more to me than just somebody that had an alcohol use yeah. disorder. Yeah, that's good. And, um, but I'll tell you my bottom, I was at a point where I was hiding. I was in the closet. Like I was the epitome of that girl that was in the closet, taking shots, downing wine, like running home. Um, yeah. And drinking before he would get home. And there were some really dark places too. Because I deal with chronic pain, pain, and I was never a pill person, but there were times where it's, it was I don't want to wake up. It yeah. wasn't oh I'm gonna go you know I want to kill myself. To, it was just you get. I think what people don't realize that maybe may not know a whole lot about substance use disorder is when somebody is deep in it, it's not fun anymore. Yeah, you are literally praying. To stop and you can't and when you get to a point where you're doing that and it's not stopping you get tired and that's where I was and it was okay I'm gonna take my pain pills with this alcohol and we'll just see what happens and it got dark in a very dark place and um, 
you know, my he's my fiance now. Uh, I woke up with. Thank you. It's been a while, but thanks. Um, it's new to me. First I've heard. We thanks. Um, but yeah, we got to a place where, and I'll never forget it. And, he, and he's fine with me talking about this. We had a fight, and I woke up the next day, and he went around the whole house and collected all the bottles that I hid, and we literally had probably like a five, five and a half foot kitchen island that was covered with bottles. Wow. And when you have that looking at you in the face, like you can't really say, no, this is not a problem. Right. Yeah. I checked into rehab like right after And obviously that. you weren't very good hider either. I was not. <laughs> I'm still not. Now I'm just like, you know, here's the deal. It is what it is. Um, but I, I went, I ended up going to rehab. I got treatment. I did inpatient for 30 days. I took it very seriously um, because I wanted it. Yeah. Um, I so my story. I I was blessed enough to have people that supported me through it. Um, I get that some people don't. I really love love working with families because I don't think that they know how much they impact that person. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. I, I try and, and really hone in on that and how also in fairness, we've impacted our family. Our family gets hijacked by substance when we're in it. Yeah. We assign our family roles that they didn't ask for. So when we get clean, like when I got out of rehab, it was an adjustment. You know, my fiance is sitting there, he's used to being caretaker. He was that way for a long time because I was always drunk. You know, now all of a sudden I can speak for myself. I can talk for myself. I can make my own decisions. And he's kind of like, well, where do I fit now? Yeah. You know, so there's a lot of transition that goes into it in like all around. Um, so that's my story. Now, I am thankful for my substance use disorder. It would never have brought me to a place that I'm, I am here in treatment. I well, will never and forget. That was my next question was, if you could go back and change anything. I wouldn't change, would change it. Not one so. thing. Not one thing. Um, I decided to be a counselor in rehab. And um, I will never forget going to my counselor and saying, I think I'm going to go to school. And she was like, tell me you're going to be a therapist. Just because I was just like, I just, it was just, I loved it. I loved yeah. everything about it. And so Rochelle, it, it reminded me of that situation when I was yeah. in rehab, when she was like, and it's like, no, you no, you have to be a counselor, Rochelle. I'm not gonna bow, uh, boss you, but you have to. Yes. <laughs> you know, it was one of those things where you just see it in some people yeah. and they get it. Right. Mm -hmm. And she is an amazing counselor, really. She's an amazing counselor. Um, so yeah, I, at this point, I wouldn't take anything back. I'm thankful for it. Yeah. Brought me where I am today. I don't believe in mistakes. I believe in lessons learned. The That's best good. part about a mistake is that you learn from it, yeah. right? Yeah. So We teach our kids and our guys at the house, too. Sometimes you win and sometimes you learn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love you, that. As long as you learn, you never lose. Mm -hmm. That's so learn, true. That's so true. So, Rochelle, um, I've heard Jamie's story of how she got to where she is now. Do you have a, do you have a story of, of why you do what you do and all that? How much time I have? <laughs> you just go, girl. Tell, just. Okay. Well, like I said, 
I didn't choose to become a counselor. Life chose it for me because I've been walking in with an addiction for 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. And within that time, the beast only gets stronger. Yeah. You know, the dragon gets bigger. And I've been in all walks of life. I'm known from one community to the next. But I always kept my dignity and respect because still today they call me mama when I go out there. And even though some are way older than me, I still have that reputation. But in the midst of my addiction, like Jamie said, I would pray, Lord, why won't you take this from me? If you're real, where are mm, you? Yeah. Caused me to doubt that God was real, but on the inside, I knew better. But then it got to the point where I was miserable in my addiction. I thought it wasn't no hope. I'm like, I don't have a connection. This wasn't my American dream. This isn't what I expected you know, my life to turn out to be, you know, I'm, I was told I was smart. I know I'm smart. I could do better. Couldn't find that connection. Couldn't find a way. So I tried to do the ultimate thing and take my life. I tried the pills. It didn't work. I realized they know how to suck that out of you. <laughs> so I said, well, okay, I'm too poor to afford a gun. I've I, I done pawned and got rid of nearly everything that I owned. So I can't kill myself that way, but I do have something to set me on fire and no one isn't here and I have bars on my house. Wow. And when I did, guess what? I tell people, I even tell people, I said, don't be sorry for me because guess what? It, the toughest battle was given to a strong soldier, but for the, those who's listening, please don't try it because stop, drop, and roll don't work, especially when you're rolling 90 miles per hour because I had to jump so, up and take so, off running. So just, so just so everybody's clear, you set yourself on fire. Uh, yes. Now, were you sober or did you have some, something in you when you did this? I wasn't just really, I, I wasn't really just under the influence. I was more into my emotions. Gotcha. You know, when you get sick and tired, you're in a yeah, yeah. numb state. Yeah. And that's where I tell people they need to be aware of their emotions, not just the substance. The substance just just create these delusions yeah. in your mind to make you think one way or, or another. But it's your emotions and your strengths that's your driving force behind your actions and behaviors. And so mine was more, more of an emotional yeah. state, being sick and tired of life. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm suffering from some mental disorder. It was just being tired of Rochelle yeah. and the life I created. But although I died, I died Easter weekend of 2000, burnt over 90% of my body. I was told I would never use my arm. My scalp was removed twice and placed throughout my body. I had over a thousand staple, staples where they did skin grafts throughout my body. I was told I would never walk and I was to be in the hospital for, um, what did they say, a year by the time I transitioned. Okay, so 90% so of your body was burned. Mm -hmm. So at, one, at what point in this process did help arrive? Did no help come? Okay. Actually, so what happened? Actually, what as far as uh, like okay, you set yourself on fire. You're burning. Uh -huh. you, are, are you feel pain? You you hurt? Not me? not right then. You're that numb. As soon as as soon as soon as I got myself well, 
I, I finally called for my um, husband that was there, that was okay. in the back room. Wait, your husband? He was in the back room asleep. He was asleep. in the back room asleep when asleep. you did this? Yes. Okay. Yes. And and by the time I ran in there to him and he tried to help me each time he stepped close, he couldn't. That's how hot the fire was. But I didn't, I didn't really feel the fire nor see, see it because it was just like little flames that was yeah. flickering. That's all I could see. I couldn't really feel the heat. But then, finally, after I was able to tear off the garment off of me, the fire went out. The first thing I did, I knew I was just really cook, cook. I ran to the mirror. Right, right. I like it fried, but damn. (laughs) (laughs) I went to the restroom and looked at myself and looked perfectly normal. Even my hair was still in place. I'm like, that's some damn good gel, and I still use it today. (laughs) (laughs) If I had hair, I would use that gel. (laughs) And so I went and I looked in the mirror, and and I didn't see anything, just a few pieces of skin hanging from my armpits. But then after probably about a good 10, 15 minutes, that's when the pain kicked Mm. in. And there I was with a fan and a slab so of butter. So the adrenaline and the cortisol yes. wouldn't let you feel the pain at first. first. But then, Afterwards, oh, it yeah. kicked in. And then when they got me to Bentop, because they say that's the best burn unit in the area, Bentop said we cannot do nothing with her. We have to life flight her to John Seeley to the research hospitals. I've been to John Seeley. Yeah. But as an inmate. Oh, okay. I've seen some of those. <laughs> I've been on, I was on the other side of the right, hospital. Right, right. And so... He was your security. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Looked like it. <laughs> and so, yes, I get there and everything. And all that was a process because even in the midst of that and looking back today, you know, um, they even came to me shortly. They was like, your body is healing itself at a miraculous rate, and we would like to go into your thigh bone and get some of your cells if that's all right. At first, I'm angry. I'm like, hell no, I need whatever I need to heal. You, I'm laying up here with no skin, and you want to take something from me? <laughs> you know? But eventually, they took me over there where the children, I saw the children, and that's when I'm like, yes, I will do it. And so... I was supposed to have been there for a year or more because they was going to teach me how to live, you know, as a handicap, you know, because I wouldn't have use of my legs. They was talking about I would lose my kidneys, my legs would be amputated, and I would never use this left, left arm. My whole face was disfigured. It was drooped like a stroke victim. I had keloids under my chin that was about a half inch thick, but God saw fit to spare me, but I had to start believing. That takes wow. a lot of strength. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of strength to overcome an addiction and then a physical um, deformity. Yeah. And then having to deal with public people too, that's a lot to come mm-hmm. over. And that's why I really enjoy being a counselor because I can give hope where, where a person feel like there's yeah. no hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, because there's three components to us, and we have to be strong in all three, and that's the body, the mind, and our spiritual component. And and really, when you start working on your spiritual aspect, the body and mind will get in line. They line up, yeah, right. absolutely. Yes, and you know, it's a lot of times I said, oh well, Lord, you know, I know how to be humble and and have humility 
the biggest thing we fail to look at is the humility of things, mm. the shame we have to walk through, mm. and all of that. In order to find strength and be secure with who you are and what you are, then you know who you are and who you belong to. Whose you are. Yeah, yeah whose. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> all that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I just want to say, I, I did not even recognize or, or see any right. burns on your body mm-hmm. until I heard you talking about them, you know, before we started this. Mm-hmm. And even then, I, I didn't even, I couldn't even see them until you just now lifted your sleeves up and mm-hmm. were showing things and mm-hmm. pointing things out. So, and just to know that, that 90% of your body was burned yeah. and you weren't supposed to even be able to use your left hand, your legs... And I've seen you walking around. I've right. seen you talk with your hands. Yeah. So, I mean, you have overcome so much. Mm-hmm. I'm sure part of God uh, God just healing you in, in a supernatural touch. But yeah. also some of your own just gumption. Right. Probably just, you know, just said, hey, I'm, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rise above this. Right. And, and that's something I, I truly believe that is in every individual. There's, there's a calling within every person to yeah. want to do something, to do better. There's a moral, a moral integrity that each individual carry. Because if not, a person wouldn't be feeling down. They wouldn't feel depressed. Right. They wouldn't feel panic and all this. But it's when we're not on the right path with what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're working as a CEO of some industry or if you've been to prison. If you're on, not on your right path, there's something on the inside that will keep disturbing you. Yeah. So the thing is, is being willing to take the chance and step out and try new things. Yeah. You know, because the biggest fool is a person to say that they are wise. <laughs> That's good. Right. That's good. Let me ask you ladies questions. Is addiction generational? Okay. Here we go. <laughs> In my opinion, I feel like when substance use disorder or addiction is within the family, we are predispositioned for it. Meaning, if a family member was an alcoholic. That doesn't necessarily mean I will be an alcoholic. However, I feel as though um, I could be more susceptible to a problem with a substance, right? So maybe just because mom or dad was an alcoholic doesn't mean that my drug of choice will be alcohol, but it could certainly be um, cocaine. It could be... um, a different drug it could even be honestly exercise yeah you know mm-hmm. I mean I I just feel that um, and it also kind of goes back into learned behavior and how mm-hmm. there's a lot of different things that I feel that are incorporated with that question um, there's cross addiction that goes into that comes into play with that too mm-hmm. um, I feel that um, when there is a person with a substance use disorder or addiction issue within the family. I feel that um, it is okay to talk to our kids about that. Right. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Yeah. I think that honestly, that's part of 
the biggest problem these days. We have high schoolers that are having pill parties and dropping pills in a bowl and just picking them randomly and ODing and EMS gets there and nobody knows what they're ODing on. Right. You know, we have kids that are quote experimenting and maybe are predispositioned to addiction or substance use, but because they don't really know what that is or what yeah. that even looks like, right. their experimenting is much different than somebody or another kid in whatever grade is experimenting when addiction does not run in that family, right? True. So True. Um, having that conversation with your kids does not have to look like, oh, well, mom or dad did meth for 10 years and like we don't have to go there but we can have honest conversations with our kids i mean it's educating them it's letting them know that that look you know within our family there is a certain gene or trait that we have where you know when you go into high school or whatnot you might be offered to experiment with things. You know, that might look differently. What one person might experiment with one or two beers, yours might look completely different, you know, um, and do it in an age appropriate way. Right. We only know what we know. Mm-hmm. And guess what? So do our kids. <laughs> you know, so if we're not educating them on what's going on out there and we're not educating them on. They're going to get educated from somebody mm-hmm. at some point. Yep, because here's the thing we all have a choice. Every single person has a choice to do, honestly, whatever the hell they want. But we all have a consequence. And it can either be negative or positive. And the consequence, we don't get to walk away from. Right. So um, it's really educating and instilling those morals and those values and explaining how, yes, we do have a choice, but we also have a consequence. So think it through. Um, So that's what I, I... I don't know. I'm really big with that um, just because I will I will say this. I will say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Montgomery has a problem with it. Montgomery has a very vi- big problem um, with the drugs in the schools, with the drugs. There's a lot of, unfortunately, there's some sweeping under the rug. Yeah. Um, and I, w- I will have no problem saying that because I feel like parents – maybe some parents are looking for that okay it's okay to talk to your kids about Mm this um and i say that because i get them in my center all the time yeah so um parents it's okay to talk to your kids yeah i agree (laughs) so you know my my seven-year-old already knows about we call it crazy alcohol Mm -hmm. um you know from my past and why i went to prison and and all that and so she knows she she's already she already knows that's great. You know, and, and the conversation came up. I was talking to somebody on the phone who struggles with drug addiction. Mm. And so my wife was trying to explain to her, Daddy's on a phone call right now talking to somebody who's struggling with an addiction. Mm-hmm. And she goes, oh, like Daddy's bad alcohol, crazy alcohol. And she's mm. like, well, it's something different. It's not, the, it's not necessarily the same as Daddy's. It's another It's another." thing that they met that they're addicted to and it's not good as well so even at seven years old you know they're asking because of my own story that I'm open and transparent with she's learning she's learning a lot you know about the the struggles and um you know and and I know overeating has been a struggle in my family for a long time my parents were both a little overweight um and both struggled with heart heart conditions because Mm -hmm. of it diabetes you know and I know 
that uh, well, I think everybody's overweight according to the, the scientific medical chart. Um, I'm like 100 pounds overweight if you go by that chart. But, um, but I, I've, I've always struggled even when I'm eating healthy. Mm-hmm. I just love to eat more. I can turn a nice healthy chicken salad into an unhealthy meal because I won't stop eating it. Oh, man, and I, just, I feel you. <laughs> cheese makes everything better. Yes, and my it kids love does. cheese. My kids love cheese, and they don't understand when I say no, <laughs> no more ice cream, no more cheese, no more this. Mm-hmm. They don't understand. And what I'm trying to trying to get across to them is, look, Daddy has a problem saying no to this, you know. It's not just crazy alcohol that you can get addicted to. You, mm-hmm. can, you can get addicted to food. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. what, uh, Rochelle, what about you? Is, is, is addiction generational? That's like asking if um, making choices and decisions is generational. Because an addiction is a choice. Because our, we pick and choose something to hide behind. We keep experimenting with things because we lose, lose our direction and who we are. Even coming out of school or at those teenage years. Yeah. Wanting to know, where, what am I going to do? You know, especially if you come, you are a minority, or you from a poverty-stricken area, or, or or whatever status you're from, if you don't have a connection with your future, then your addiction is going to be like a generational choice because it was mom and dad's decision to um, to do drugs or not. And then it's your decision on whether or not you are going to seek a substance in order to hide behind it. So yes, it, it's like saying, is um, addiction generational? Yeah. Yes, so, it's just like choices. So do you find it more following the same path, the same drug, the same substance, or do you find like, I know sometimes, you know, my mom and dad were very they were disciplinary parents. Mm-hmm. We got spanked mm-hmm. from toddler all the way to high school. Right. And me and my brothers and sisters kind of took an oath saying, well, we're not going to raise our kids that way. Mm-hmm. So one of my, one of my sisters was like, I'm going to be so the opposite of what my parents were. So, so do you find, do you find stuff like that? Or usually is it mm-hmm. trying to be opposite? My dad was an alcoholic, so I don't want to be an alcoholic, but then they end up becoming something else. Yeah. Because they worked so hard to just not become an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I see it all the time. Yeah. I see it all the time. Um, a, a lot of times with men, it's work. Yeah. It's that workaholic mentality. And can I just say something very quickly? I love how you were talking about you and your, your little kiddo. Because there's also something to be said. And going back to what you were talking about, Rochelle, mm-hmm. with shame. Mm-hmm. There's something to be said to admit that you struggled, but show your children that you were strong enough to pick yourself back up. Yeah. Like they have seen mm-hmm. and know that maybe dad struggled with something, but guess what? Guess what he's doing today? He's helping other people, you know? So there's something to be said. There can be good that come that can come out of these discussions and learning lessons and with your that kids. that can be generational too. Exactly, So exactly. just as the bad can, mm-hmm. the good can be generational mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. But getting back to your question, yes, um, we do. I see it. Um, Mm -hmm. I can't speak for Rochelle, but I do see it. A lot of times with men, it's workaholic. It's that like time urgency. 
Um, a lot of it is cross addiction. It may not be what mom and dad's choice of drug was, but it's something because yeah. mom and dad were, if we take it all the way back, mom and dad were using for some reason too. They were coping with something going on at their point. Because of grandma and grandpa probably. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So here we are going back to learned behavior. This is just how we did things in, in the house. When we got mm-hmm. upset, when we were sad, whatever, when we were anxious, we mm-hmm. we drank or did whatever. What I am finding now is it's not so much, genetically speaking, like drug specific. It's kids are just wanting, or people in general, are just wanting to cope and it's kind of whatever's there right right i just don't want to feel anxious so Mm -hmm. okay fine give me a xanax i don't care you know what i mean so that's kind of more what i see um i can't speak for you but that's more more or less what i see when it comes Um, to that um ever since i've been clean and i've been clean ever since 2015 Congratulations. Yes, that's when they took my daughter, and that was my turning point. (laughs) But um, um, like Jamie, what I see in the youth today, um, I say from Houston all the way to the Conroe area, normally I, I do these things called girl nights. And when those kids come to my home, they're suffering in silence. And some of them are already uh, making unhealthy choices. But I intervene. And then I have to let the parents know. But the sad part about it, the parents seen seen the behavior, but they wouldn't question their child because they don't want their friends or other yeah. family members to know that my child has a disorder, mm-hmm. my child is suffering. Mm-hmm. And, I, and like I warn them, it only... It's only going to get worse. It's yeah. not going to get better. So, yes, you know, it's learned behavior. It comes from the home. You know, it could be not just a substance use. It could be watching mom and dad with these bad behaviors. Right. You know, it's a lot of factors that plays into it. So when someone comes and they're wanting help, because uh, I know we got a lot of guys coming to our transitional houses from prison, mm-hmm. and a lot of them began their addiction mm-hmm. because of stuff that happened to them when they were a kid. Mm-hmm. They used it to drown, to hide, to cover mm-hmm. the pain from sexual abuse, from physical abuse, uh, from whatever, you know, and, and a lot of the, the guys coming out of prison uh, were, grew up in the foster system, mm-hmm. you know, and so how often do you, um, do you maybe, I mean, is it, is it normal for people that come in here wanting help is it normal for their reasoning for getting into their addiction because of things that happened to them as a, as a child? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of times we go through traumatic events that we may not feel are, quote, legit traumatic events. But I think people there's a misconception out there that trauma, trauma has to be um, physical abuse, sexual abuse, like... Um, you know, someone passing away, that's not necessary. I mean, yes, don't get me wrong. Those Those are are very, very traumatic. Mm -hmm. But there are other things throughout our life that can be very traumatizing and we may not realize it because we're compartmentalizing it. An older older sibling bullying a younger sibling. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it, It can be very impactful. And 
maybe because they don't feel like it was that traumatizing it's just kind of suppressed they just kind of suppress it right Mm -hmm. it always comes out guys it always comes out um and when we don't know how to cope with it and let's say we're dealing with um, anxiety depression maybe a mental health condition even like bipolar or something like that Mm -hmm. along with something that we're trying to figure out what's even wrong with us um that can be very triggering and that can lead to um people starting up that process of coping with a substance right so when they when they first contact life giving life mm-hmm. what do y'all do with them give them to Rochelle no I'm just yeah. kidding oh, oh, That's right, why I right, her. That's right. Why I right when they first come do? my thing is is it's no longer the the action of the trauma that's causing you your pain it's the feelings that you have attached to it mm-hmm. so you done went and you learned everything about AA. You done read every psychoeducational book. But now you're seeking life in order to apply all those tools to it. And I've learned new things and researched new stuff myself. So my first thing is, imagine a brown paper bag. It needs to be thick enough for what you're fixing to put in it. So imagine that brown paper bag. All those negative feelings you've been experiencing, watch it go over off into it. Picture it going into it until you fill it up with all that shit. Then take it to the pawn shop and see what they're going to give you for it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> but then, I know what kind of prices pawn shops right, give. So. Right. And so the thing of it is, let's move those feelings. In other words, all jokes to the side, let's get those feelings out the way. Yeah. There's a way to heal and get past those feelings. There are spiritual techniques that we do. There's meditation processes that we reinvent the wheel and walk a person through. It's not just your traditional way of doing things, but yes, it's Mm -hmm. critiquing it to making it feel real, something that a person will do and think about doing. Mm -hmm. It's real good. Yeah. Jamie, has anyone ever come in here and you looked at them and said, man, I don't know if we can help you. You're just too far gone. I was one. No, (laughs) stop it. When I looked in the mirror this morning, no, I'm just kidding. Um, No. Mm-mm. I don't feel like anybody's too far gone. Right. I feel like everybody has brokenness to them. Um, that if they're willing to come in and ask for help to try and heal that. So, and I don't even feel like people that aren't coming in to ask for help are too far gone. Right. Maybe they're scared, you know, and um, maybe they don't know yet. I mean, we don't know everybody's story. That's why stigma is like a thing with me. I'm, oh, I, yeah, stigma is a thing with me. Um, shame, you know, it's very easy for people to critique other people's lives. Oh, yeah. But man, when we tell somebody to look in the mirror, mm. it's deflection, deflection, deflection. Yeah. You know, that blame game comes into play. And um, it's real easy to pinpoint what's what's wrong with you. Yeah. Um, rather than looking at me and I think that people as a whole need to take a minute and really put goes back to put your put yourself in someone else's shoes right it's very easy to say pill popper what a junkie you know 
such a loser like he's just always going to be a criminal do you even know the backstory of that person that pill popper that you're talking about may have went and got back surgery from a doctor that prescribed them pills they may never have touched pills in their entire life and now they're keep getting medicated 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 and now they're physically dependent on that and they don't even know that they're addicted you know um you have absolutely no idea why or people have no idea why um we do the things that we do yeah so before placing judgment which by the way is nobody's place in the first place um take a real hard look at the person reflecting back at you because um stigma can do some major major damage to people shame can do some major major damage to people and i think we all need to maybe just get a little bit better at that. <laughs> I agree. So. I, think, I, think, I think our nation needs to be in recovery for that. Thank you. <laughs> Amen <laughs> to that, <laughs> my friend. Yes. And, uh, and, and some people in the church need mm-hmm. to be in recovery yeah. for that too. Come on. I now. will tell you, yes. There are people, I have clients in the church that they're like, well, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to be judged. and. Right. You know, it's very sad because it hinders people from getting help. Yeah. Right. And the reality is, is if these people were really your friends, if they were really practicing what they preach, they would be the first ones to be like, do you need a ride? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I agree. You know, uh, one of the things that I experienced when I was in solitary confinement, Mm -hmm. I spent eight days in solitary confinement and those were the eight days that turned my life around. Wow. And I had four major addictions. I had, I love to drink Jack Daniels. Uh, I was a about a two pack a day cigarette smoker and I love to gamble and I cuss like a sailor. I mean, literally every other word out of my mouth was a cuss word. And so I'm laying there in the bed in solitary confinement because there's really nothing else to do in solitary confinement except <laughs> lay on that bunk. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm like, okay, God, you want me to do all these things, but I got these things in my life that I don't want to stop doing. And it's not that I didn't want to stop doing them. I knew the level of my addiction. I knew the physical, physiological level of my addiction to Jack Daniels and cigarettes. And I knew there was nothing inside my natural body that was going to be able to say, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. But I knew I couldn't do what he wanted me to do and do those at the same time. So I felt like I just asked God, I went out on a limb and said, if there's anything you can do outside of my help, something inside me, the spiritual side, Mm -hmm. you know, the supernatural side, do something in me hit a reset button, hit the reboot, hard reset, whatever. And I promised I'll never go back. And when I woke up the next day, it was, it was almost like somebody just took a big weight off my body. I can't explain it. I don't know if I want to explain it. I don't need to know the details. I just know, Hey, I feel different. And then, so I just thanked him. I was like, God, whatever you did, thanks. And then it was almost like he said, all right, and now I need you to I need you to work on your profanity and your gambling. Mm. And right then I said a cuss word because I, I wish I'd have asked him for all four. Stop staring at me. Right I, w- I wish I'd have asked him for all four. Like, like I don't want to work at this at all. Just take them all away. <laughs> and you, But you know what he showed me? It took me about four months to quit gambling and cussing. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that I like don't ever cuss. It just means that it's not a part of my life like it was. Mm-hmm. And... But what he showed me was that, yeah, he recognized that there's some things that I couldn't help him with. Mm-hmm. And so he just, he did something in me. Mm-hmm. 
He let me know, hey, I am God. I'm still, I can do this. But then he let me know, hey, I want to partner with you. I don't want to just do it all for you. I want you to know that you have, you have it in you. So let's partner, let's walk together, and let's, let's work on these other two things together. And it took about three or four months for both of them, you know, because in prison, I mean, everybody cusses and everybody gambles. That's just the language and currency of prison. So it was so hard for me to cuss, for to stop cussing and to stop gambling because, uh, because I went into prison or solitary confinement in the month of September, and that's the start of football season. I went in with tons of bets already out. So when you come out of the hole in prison and say, I don't gamble anymore, mm-hmm. that's going to piss a whole lot of people off. Because you have their money, you know, and so, so. But what he showed me was he walked through this with me, and he 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 peeled that onion. And I know in recovery you always you always hear that peeling the onion back. There's so many different layers, and 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 I learned I had a lot of pride, mm-hmm. you know. And he said every time you, every time you cuss in front of somebody, I want you to apologize to them and say you're wrong and ask for forgiveness. And I'm like, what? That's gonna be so awkward in prison. Yeah. You know, it would be awkward out here. Humility. And he knew I had a lot of pride mm-hmm. and he knew I hated admitting that I was wrong. But he said, trust the process. It's a process. Mm-hmm. I'm killing I'm killing lots of birds with this with this one process here. And then with the gambling, it was the same thing. Because I was a good gambler. That's what was sad about that. I won everything. Mm-hmm. And he said, When you win, it's bad. I want you to give them their money back. I'm like, all right, no problem. He goes, then I want you to give them your money I'm like wait what that's almost like I lost mm-hmm. he's like are you willing to lose to win mm-hmm. and I'm like okay trust the process it's a process yeah. and so so I began doing that and eventually three or four months later I didn't cuss like I do like I did anymore and then I, and I don't gamble like I did back then and so so that was the interesting thing is when people come to me and they're struggling with addiction I'm like if God hasn't hit that reset button himself and just totally taken away from you, that mm-hmm. means he still sees something in you that he wants to partner with. Yeah. Lock arms with you mm-hmm. and say, come on, let's do this thing together. Right. And, uh, and so I tell him, don't give up. Don't give up. If, he ha- if you genuinely ask him to remove it from you, mm-hmm. you know, and, but what I tell people is, is uh, he, he took the desire to drink Jack Daniels out of me, but he didn't take the desire to drink. Because I tell people I still get drunk. I just switch bartenders. Mm-hmm. You know, I get right drunk out. on life. Right. I get drunk on God. That's I get it. drunk on mm-hmm. fellowship and helping others. So, mm-hmm. well, ladies, this has been really good. So uh, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for uh, having us. Is there us. anything else you want to say to maybe the family of, an, of, of someone struggling with addiction or someone struggling with addiction that might be listening? So just real quick in closing, what would you say to the family that has a loved one? Uh, other than just say send them here, what would you send say? Them all here. What no. would you just say to them to try to help them be better at their part? I would say be patient. Um, boundaries are important. I'm gonna get a little counselor here, but yes, boundaries are important. You can love, but they have to find their way. Yeah. Um, families also go through recovery. Um, take care of you too. Again. Um, you don't want the substance to hijack your family. Be there for them. Know that you lo- let them know that you love them, and will always support them. But also, okay. Let- so, define the difference real quick in your answer. Mm-hmm. Continue with your answer. Now I'm like but thinking. How do families know whether they're helping or enabling? Oh, that's easy. 
when the person that is struggling is pissed at them. <laughs> You're doing all the right things. Okay. So basically, all jokes aside, when a family knows that they're helping or they're hurting, if you are doing something for that person that they can do themselves, that's enabling. That's good. That's okay? Good. So um, if they don't have gas in their car, there's a reason why. Let them go get a job and get gas money in that's their so car. Good. If they had a rough day. Because that's the number one request from addicts. Mm -hmm. Mom, I need some gas. I need some gas for my, I need $20 right. for gas. <laughs> Can I just be clear on something? Gas money ain't gas money, people. It's just not right. when you're dealing with this, okay? So true, um, so true. But they come home and they have a bad day and they need a hug and somebody to talk to. You know what? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, do they need to borrow the car? Not if they don't have a job. Where are they going to go? Yeah. You know, there's yeah. nothing going on after 10 o'clock midnight. We have COVID going on right now. Yeah. So there's that too. Yeah. Um, so I would just say the golden rule of thumb for the enabling is if you are doing things that they can do for themselves for them, that's, that's a pretty uh, big indicator mm -hmm. that enabling that's is taking good. place. Okay, now you just made me uh, change my last question to Rochelle. Well, How has COVID, the coronavirus, impacted addiction and recovery in general it had, have y'all seen an increase decrease what there there is definitely an increase because here it is people are thrown back into the basement of isolation mm -hmm. they are locked in their homes with their memory uh, with their past memories and traumas they are even thrown into unemployment and mm -hmm. other dis discomforting situations in which they feel helpless and hopeless they don't know what their future may hold i've seen a, i've seen some who have taken steps and reached out to us life-given life i've even seen um some of the strongest men who has went through a lot of trauma actually sitting out there crocheting. I don't know how to crochet. But it's all about taking the steps in order to get the help. Because help, help doesn't come from just prayer alone. You gotta do the work. And so, yes, there's an increase in the addiction, but not just addiction because uh, some people may be looking at it as just um, addiction to drugs or alcohol or pills. Right. But that addiction rolls over into your food. That addiction rolls over into your behavior. Now it's time to really seek help because the only thing that's waiting is just a greater beast. Yeah, I've, I've actually noticed on my social media people talking about the COVID-19 is the 19 pounds they've gained <laughs> yeah. during this whole process. <laughs> right. Yeah, my fear is that we keep talking about this is the new normal this is and that's my fear is yeah. that because what i'm finding is our people are actually getting comfortable isolating now yeah. yes. suicide rates are up yes. mm -hmm. um people are having i have people that have told me wow i never really had anxiety leaving and now i have anxiety leaving my house like yeah. i my fear is that this does actually become a new normal mm -hmm. um i've had well how come the liquor stores are open by the way, side note, mm -hmm. the reason why they are, one of the reasons why they are open is because during Hurricane Harvey, 26 people passed away from alcohol withdrawal. Mm -hmm. So alcohol withdrawal is the most fatal drug to come off of. 
Um, so there's that. Like, there's just so many things going on with this COVID thing, too. And um, that's a big concern with yeah. people making this their new normal. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we can kind of start, hopefully this just passes soon because it's impacting us in ways that are just devastating. Yeah. Well, ladies, this has been an awesome, awesome time. Thank you so much thank you. for sharing. And I know it's going to help lots of people. And uh, But thank you for coming on to the show and doing a background check. Hey, okay. I'm all about some background checks. Right. Thank you for having us. All right. Uh, also, real quick, um, we'll, we'll put the website, but just go ahead and tell everybody how they can how they can, if they're in the if they're in the area or if they're not in the area and they, they want to come all the way out here to see you yeah um, what where where can they go so we are in Montgomery so we're in the historical district of Montgomery right off Liberty Street um, like the 149 105 area I love the fact that it's on Liberty Street yeah That's isn't that awesome. cool that and it was amazing. a church I mean it so doesn't get nice. better than that so. Um, and you the website can, the website is www.lifegivinglife.recovery.org um and then also our phone number is 936-597-3339 i'm always getting calls on my cell phone so sorry about that um in <laughs> and we'll put all that uh in the show notes as well thanks and um but but again Thank, thank you guys so much for doing this. Thank you for what you do. Yeah. And you thank, too. And thank you for uh, meeting with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow, this episode has rocked my world. You know, I had my own story of recovery. I'm in what they would call long-term recovery. And I know a lot of people have a problem with the word recovery because it makes it sound like you are still trying to hold on to something in the past and you haven't fully recovered. And, you know, I, I get it. I get it. I think the, um, I think the way I look at it, you know, when it talks in the Bible about there's a moment of salvation and then there's a journey of salvation, which the journey is called more like sanctification. And so I kind of look at me being delivered from my past and my addictions as more of a, more of a journey, more of a, I'm continually being, sanctified or I'm continually being recovered recovered from uh, attitudes, behaviors, actions. But man, to hear Jamie and Rachelle's story, 90% of her body was burned. And I'm telling you, you can look in at some of the pictures and it doesn't even look like. I had to look real close and I could only see scars when she really pointed them out to me. But for her to be walking and talking, full mobility, in her hands and arms, and they said she wouldn't. It's just a miracle. It's just a miracle. But it was crazy, the story, you know, she set herself on fire with her husband in the next room. You know, and, and something that Jamie said about, you know, the, the family goes through this addiction with the the person. And and I agree. I, I agree totally with that. You know, my, my family was affected hugely by my drinking, my addiction to Jack Daniels, and my even my addiction to cigarettes and gambling and my addiction to profanity, you know, all those things that were my main addictions, everyone around me was affected by it. And I didn't come to grips with that 
and fully realize that until I'm sitting there in jail one day on Christmas Eve looking at my niece who I hadn't seen. She was just born. But I'm looking through plexiglass to see her for the first time. And that's kind of when I knew, you know, my, my decisions that I made in life affected everyone. You know, and, and to see the path of my niece and nephew who have struggled at times with substance abuse, you know, makes me wonder if, if they weren't watching old Uncle J. Dan, you know. But one thing I know sitting across the table from these two ladies is that God is a God of redemption. You know, at one time they were deemed alcoholics. They were deemed drug addicts. I was deemed an alcoholic. I was deemed by a judge that I was not going to have a bright future. But that's what God does in his power, the power in the blood and the resurrection power. It redeems us. It redeems us. We were deemed something, and then he had to redeem us. And I'm just telling you, you know, no matter what your addiction is, there is hope. There is hope for you to recover. You may be listening to the sound of my voice, and you may be struggling with an addiction. Maybe it's overeating. Maybe it's addiction to pride. Maybe it's an addiction to work. Maybe you're a workaholic. Um, whether it's porn, drugs, alcohol, doesn't matter what it is. You know, if you're abusing something to make your mind look at something differently, mind-altering substances. But you know, I mean, even even the simplest thing can can alter your mind, and you can become addicted to it. Codependency. I'm just. I mean, I talked over an hour with a mom. Uh, just in tears about her son. But she's been going to Al-Anon, and she's been struggling with codependency herself, and she just bawls and just bawling and just saying, how do I know when I'm helping? How do I know when I'm enabling? And and Jamie answered that question for me, you know, um, and it was just amazing. I love hearing these stories. They said so many things. I think I'm going to go back and listen to it again. Uh, but if you, man, if you – have somebody in your family, in your sphere of influence that is addicted to something, uh, challenge them to listen to this podcast and see if they can't come up with some some hope, see if they can't come up with some way to uh, get back on their feet, you know, and tell them to call me, tell them to text me. My phone number is 972-375-5177. That's my personal cell phone number. It's also on our website. My email address is jdangummetforgivenfelons.org. Our guys participate in a Christ-centered 12-step called Regeneration. Uh, I'm going to be speaking at, um, at one down in Galveston on April, uh, or I'm sorry, August 29th. So if you're in the Galveston, Houston area, and you want to come down and party with us and have fun, um, social distancing, obviously, they do it online as well. So go to the uh, go to crunkchurch.com, I think it is, and but look for the R on Facebook. They have a Facebook page. And it's just, man, doing life with, I'll never forget what Todd Wagner of Watermark Church said one time. He said, if you want to know how healthy our church is, don't come on Sunday morning, right? Because, I mean, you see uh, everybody's got their best outfit, their best face on, their best mask on. You think you think people wearing masks to church now? They've been wearing masks for a long time. But he said, don't don't come on Sunday morning if you want to see how healthy my church is. Come on Monday nights. And Monday nights is when they hold their recovery class. And literally hundreds and, and sometimes even thousand people show up on Monday nights saying, this is what I struggle with. And it's not always 
drugs, alcohol, pornography. You know, sometimes it's 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 resentment, bitterness, you know, unforgiveness, and and they address all of that. And it's it's amazing if you let Christ be your sponsor. <laughs> now it, it's good to have other sponsors, accountability partners, whatever you want to call them. It's it's great. Com- recovery doesn't happen in isolation; it happens in community. It happens in community, and so. You know, if you don't have a community, come to Forgiven Felons. We have Bible study and breakfast every Sunday morning, 830 to 930 at 9724 Summerwood Circle, Dallas, Texas. Come on. You're welcome to come here. It's safe. You know, we'll help you through whatever you're you're going through. And you can you can do this. And family, you can do this. It's tough on you guys. I know what I put my family through. But they they got through it just like I did. We're all and we're all better for it. So I can't go back and change the past, but I can change the future. And uh, so and I can make better decisions. So listen, if this episode really touched you, would you leave a review? If you haven't left a review on Apple, would you leave us a review? The show gets more exposure, uh, the more reviews and ratings. So please rate us, leave a review, and share this with everybody you know. Share it with everybody you know. Uh, the link to Life Giving Life. The Recovery Project website will be on the show notes. Visit ForgivenFelons.org forward slash background check, and that's our podcast page, okay? And on there you'll see more pictures. You'll see uh, all the links that we talk about during the show. And and um, so, yeah, just leave us a review and share it as much as you can. We got Carl Sherman, Representative, District 109. Woo-woo! Uh, Carl Sherman on the show next week. Uh, you don't want to miss that. You don't want. You don't want to miss it. All right. Love y'all. Uh, let me pray with y'all real quick. Father, in Jesus' name, I just pray for everyone who's listening to this right now. Father, your your son's name, Jesus, is greater than the addiction, the bondage that someone may be walking in today. And I just I I, I bind up a spirit of addiction and bondage, and I loose liberty and freedom in that person's life, in that family's life that that is impacted by addiction. And Father, I just I thank you for everyone who's listening and shares the podcast. I pray you bless them, bless their time. Let this time that they've listened to you and your stories of redemption, let it let it come back to them 30, 60, 90, 100 fold. But Lord, let them share it. Let them let the one person, if one person comes to know you and is in is uh, gets freedom from this podcast, it's all worth it. So, Father, I just pray over everyone, everyone who's listening. I pray for their financial breakthrough, their uh, breakthrough from any addiction they're going through, and any healing they need in their body. And I thank you, Jesus. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Tune in next week, Representative Carl Sherman. And don't forget, North Texas Giving Day coming up. Save, 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 and help us raise a lot of money for our goal for the resource center okay all right see you on the next episode thank you for tuning in to this episode of the background check podcast brought to you by forgiven felons helping people with the past realize their future for more information please visit forgivenfelons.org follow us on instagram facebook and please don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss the latest episode i'm jdn gum and this has been background check